From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Molly Kaplan, your host. The Arkansas legislature just passed HB 1570, a bill that would ban gender-confirming health care for trans youth in the state. This comes just one day after Arkansas's governor, Asa Hutchinson, vetoed the bill amidst pleas from doctors, social workers, and parents of transgender youth. Arkansas is the first state in the country to pass such a bill. The morning after we got the news, I called Chase Strangio, ACLU's deputy director for transgender justice, to get his take on what had just happened. Chase, thank you so much for making the time this morning to talk to us after the news yesterday. Um, I think my first question is actually, how are you? Um, Well, good morning and thank you. Uh, I... You know, I am a combination of things. You know, I'm sad. I am furious and also, you know, motivated. I think it's just it, it's just so painful that we've even reached this point where we're actually having this national conversation about stripping healthcare away from people at all. And then in a pandemic and in this cruel way. Um, so that just is depressing, you know, at base. And then when you think about the fact that, that Arkansas actually voted, you know, not only to pass this law, but to override the governor's veto to strip healthcare away from trans young people, I think it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking. Um, and so I think we have to start from that place of recognizing the sadness and, um, the cruelty of all of this. And, and that is sort of such a fundamental part of, of moving forward. Were you at all surprised about the override? You know, why wasn't the governor's veto enough to end this fight? Yeah, I mean, I think sadly I wasn't surprised by the override. You know, so when the bill was originally in each of the legislative chambers, the votes, you know, to pass it were overwhelming. Even on a supermajority override, it was overwhelmingly against us. So I think when you have a situation where the governor's power is so limited that a a simple majority of the legislature can override a veto, and you know that they're so invested in this cruelty— and especially having watched this legislative session across the country where bills have died and been revived over and over again, I think I was, you know, very much prepared for the prospect that even with a veto, it was very possible that this bill was going to become law and become law quickly. Um, So, uh, you know, of course, like the rational part of me wasn't surprised, but of course the emotional Mm -hmm. part of me is still like reeling from from the reality of what happened. I think also, you know, during the legislative session when this bill was being reviewed, so many people, experts, parents, trans youth, made just heart-wrenching pleas um, that this this could mean suicide. This could mean the death of children. And they passed it anyway. So, I mean, I guess that, that, that you're right, that it wasn't surprising that having heard all of that, that they would still pass it. Yeah, I mean, this is based not on science, not on compassion, not on shared humanity, but on just like the sheer desire to harm trans people. And that was so apparent from the start. I mean, yeah, that the testimony was gut-wrenching. You have people pleading for their lives before these lawmakers who have all of this power and they just look them in the eye and pass it anyways. And then you have, you know, clinicians, experts, pediatric endocrinologists saying, my patients are going to suffer and die potentially, not just by suicide, but by the fact that you're, you know, removing hormone therapy 
be that, you know, all of a sudden it's going to send their body into physiological consequences. You're going to push people into black markets of care, which is dangerous. You're going to, you know, increase the rates of discrimination and violence, and and it's going to be catastrophic. Um, And one, you know, doctor telling lawmakers, every time one of my patients dies, I am going to personally call you and inform you of it, and you have blood on your hands, them all looking, all of these people in the face and doing it anyways. I mean, just the levels of cruelty on on the one hand are unimaginable and on the other are so commonplace. And I think those things are are just so hard to to grapple with. And I guess, you know, on some level, I feel it a sense of just gratitude that I get to continue to fight them all. You know, I think the benefit of having a job where we get to lobby against these bills and then sue these people when they pass at least gives us, um, you know, continued continued tools in the fight, even though I think it's on some level cold comfort, um, you know, to people because nobody should have to litigate this issue. No, we Nobody mm-hmm. should have to think about whether or not a judge is going to, you know, keep open a pathway to survival or shut it down further. Can you explain in detail what this means for trans youth in Arkansas and also what impact it could have on like the youth in the state writ large? Yeah, I mean, so essentially, you know, what this means is that they, the state of Arkansas has now passed a bill, um, the most extreme anti-trans bill uh, to ever pass into law in the United States, um, you know, as far as, you know, targeting the community and stripping away access that had had previously been available. Um, And so it it essentially, when it goes into effect in July, will, um, you know, shut down all gender affirming providers. Um, So, you know, Clinicians will no longer be able to provide care. Um, It will uh, strip young people of care they have been relying on receiving. And so this is, you know, care like um, puberty delaying treatment, hormone therapy, referrals for that care. um, And then, you know, for older adolescents, uh, you know, potential access to surgery, although that's very limited when it comes to minors. Um, but, but I think really, you know, what we're talking about is stripping people, um, uh, off of ongoing treatment plans and taking those treatment plans away from young people who might need them in the future. Um, and then also sort of opening the door to other forms of discrimination against all people in Arkansas, because the bill also has language essentially encouraging insurance providers to not, uh, provide care coverage for care for anyone. So it's not just limited to minors in that sense. And it obviously sends a message, um, to, you know, other actors in the state who might be interested in discriminating that they now have, you know, a green light to engage in all sorts of discriminatory conduct. Um, but I think, you know, the, the largest and most significant and most deadly impact is going to be on, you know, trans young people in Arkansas under the age of 18 who no longer can get access to care in state, um, no longer can get referrals for care, and in many ways probably no longer can get information about care. Um, And that just is, uh, you know, truly catastrophic in ways that we don't really understand. It would be completely unethical to test the consequences of ripping people off of healthcare. So we don't even really know how serious this is going to be. But we know that even just withholding the care and and limiting access to care has such deadly consequences for for young people. Um, You know, the studies that we do have, you know, sort of tell us that, you know, trans youth who have access to pubertal suppression, for example, um, have a 70% decrease 
increase in suicidal ideation. So, you know, we're in, we know that prospective studies that we've done in the medical context tell us that the single most important thing we can do for trans young people is affirm their gender and make sure they have access to this care. Now what the state has done is essentially say, we're going to take away the single most helpful thing to to save lives in this community um, and not only make it difficult to access, make it prohibited. Um, and, you know, and, and and I will say too, the Arkansas legislature hasn't, isn't stopping here. You know, they've already passed two other anti-trans bills. They passed a ban on sports participation. They passed a medical conscience bill that allows medical providers to turn away trans patients um, for any religious or moral objection. And that's and not- And is that youth or any trans patient? That's, you know, anyone. And so, you know, we already know that, and it's not just in gender affirming care. You know, you could, you you know, I know so many people who have gone to the emergency room and been turned away because people object to their existence and say, I will not treat your emergency appendectomy. Um, and we know that trans people experience incredibly negative health outcomes because of discrimination in healthcare and not just discrimination in accessing gender affirming healthcare, but rather discrimination in accessing healthcare writ large. So, you know, right now what we're seeing in Arkansas is this sort of full-out assault on trans lives. We've already had three bills pass into law. They are still uh, considering uh, another sports ban. Um, so they, you know, to add insult to injury, you know, it won't it won't even do much other than send the message that they hate us. Um, and then another bill that would um, encourage uh, school staff and teachers to misgender and mispronoun trans students. Um, so the level of attack is, is simply just, you know, incomprehensible on some level. Uh, I think when it comes to obviously this healthcare ban that is the most sweeping and most dangerous and most um, urgent in the sense that like we need people to have their healthcare um, immediately. We need to make sure that this law doesn't go into effect, which is why you know we will be suing very soon, um, and and that will be you know an important message to send to other states that are considering this type of legislation. Um, you know, though I will say, you know, Governor Hutchinson when he vetoed the bill said some really important things that I hope conservative lawmakers elsewhere were listening to, um, which is you know I listen to trans young people, I listen to their parents, and I listen to these providers, and this is simply a huge overreach um, by the government in ways that will be catastrophic. Recognizing the potential to for young people to have their care removed and then, you know, be forced, because that is what will happen, to try to find the, the care in ways that are less safe um, and less supportive. Um, we know with any type of health care, if you ban it, but people need it, they will get it. They will just mm -hmm. get it in ways that are less safe, <laughs> less monitored. Um, and, and that's what's going to happen here. And trans people have a long, you know, history of accessing health care that we need um, and creating means for survival. But it doesn't mean that there will be the safest. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they will be the most effective um, because what we really need is the provision of care without restrictions by the clinical experts who are capable of providing the care. Um, and, and that's what's been prohibited now. And there's also the psychological effect of knowing that your government doesn't support you, that they are closing the door on you. Um, but I think it's worth noting that while Arkansas is leading the charge, they are by no means the only state waging um, attacks on trans rights. Some of the bills also seek to block health care. Others, as you mentioned, also um, seek to block trans athletes uh, from youth sports. Did you see this wave coming even before it started? And why now? Why so many bills that attack trans people now? Yeah, so so just to give a sense of the scope, this is the most uh, extreme 
a year in terms of attacks on trans people. We've had over 100 bills across the country targeting trans people, majority of them targeting trans youth in the context of sports and healthcare. Um, and not only are not only are we seeing a record number of bills, so not only is there sort of, uh, you know, extremeness to the volume, they're, they're moving the, 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 quick, the quickest I've ever seen in terms of getting hearings, moving through legislative chambers, passing. We, you know, in, you know, in 2021, we've had more anti-trans bills passed than in the, you know, the, in the past, you know, decade combined. Um, and so the escalation is, is astounding. You know, we've had, I think, you know, seven or eight um, bills signed into law. Um, there are many more pending. You know, there are votes, you know, just today in, um, in West Virginia, there was votes uh, yesterday in, in Florida. We have new bills filed in, in North Carolina. It's, you know, you can go check your email and, you know, take a phone call and come back and there's five new bills. There's there's five new hearings. There's governors speaking out in support of these bills. I, you know, I frankly haven't seen anything like it. It is a priority of the the GOP right now in state legislatures. Um, we're seeing, you know, predominantly in terms of what what we're seeing moving across the country uh, are bills attacking trans people and voter suppression bills. That is, you know, really what is dominating this uh, session in terms of, you know. Whether I saw it personally saw it coming, yes. Um, you know, I think the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, we saw a lot of these introduced in 2020, um, where, you know, the you had sort of a pivot from anti-trans bathroom bills and sort of a little bit of a lull in 2018 and 2019, where we had sort of defeated the anti-trans bathroom narrative largely. You know, they lost in the the courts, they lost in the legislatures, they lost at the ballot. And so the anti-trans forces, which are incredibly strategic and well-funded, sort of began to pivot um, at the end of 2019. And, and that's what we saw in the beginning of 2020. And then what happened was, you know, a lot of state legislatures adjourned early in 2020 because of COVID. Um, and there were a lot of other intervening factors. Um, so there was, you know, the, the short sessions in 2020, plus you have Bostock being decided in the summer of 2020 and Joe Biden being elected in November. And, so and Chase, you, just to review, can you say what Bostock is? Yeah. So, and, and so Bostock is the, the case from the Supreme Court um, that was decided in June um, of 2020, holding that federal civil rights statutes that prohibit sex discrimination cover LGBTQ people. Um, so, you know, that was a major uh, win for us and a major loss for people trying to restrict our access to legal protections. Um, and so a lot of the organizations were you know, pushing at the Supreme Court for us to lose that fight. Um, so, you know, when, and when they lose at the Supreme Court, there is backlash. Um, and we've seen it, we saw it with Obergefell, this, the, the decision that was, uh, the Supreme Court uh, decided in 2015, striking down bans on marriage equality. Um, and that was, you know, after Obergefell was the first wave of anti-trans bills in 2016. Mm -hmm. And now we have sort of the escalation generally leading up to 2020, you know, abbreviated sessions, the court ruling in our favor, Biden being elected. And so it's a perfect storm of backlash. Um, mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think it was foreseeable. I don't think anyone could have imagined the level and just the cruelty behind it, because not only are we seeing them move the fastest, not only are you seeing the most pass, but the hearings themselves are so saturated with just brazen cruelty um, and the, the rhetoric on display in state legislatures by governors in the public discourse is, is, is just truly depressing. Um, and, and so in that sense, I wasn't prepared. Um, and I think that we can't, you know, in terms of why now, other than the backlash, like what is behind this? How are we seeing this happen? 
I, I think we can't discount the legitimization through public discourse of a debate over trans existence that we've seen sort of percolating and culminating over many years where people think it is justified to have a conversation about whether trans people do exist, whether trans people should exist, whether trans people should have access to the, you know, resources and opportunities of their cisgender counterparts, you know, whether trans people should have access to healthcare, particularly trans youth, that conversation has been legitimized in the public discourse. There have been people with very powerful microphones taking up a lot of space, speaking out against trans existence, which then fuels what we're seeing in state legislatures. And it's a very short trip from a large-scale public debate about trans existence to a state law like what we're seeing in Arkansas. Why are so many of these bills focused on trans youth? And it's not just now. I mean, the bathroom bills were about, you know, bathrooms in schools. And even before that, you know, we've talked about before the the campaign around adoption in Florida, barring lesbian and gay couples from adopting um, children. Why is there such a focus on youth? I mean, in all of these attacks, uh, yeah, so I think we have to understand it in sort of two sort of fundamental ways that, you know, one is sort of generally how sort of right-wing attacks on LGBTQ existence have large, largely for decades leveraged this moralistic panic about protecting kids that is not at all about protecting kids, but about sort of using the language of protecting women and children largely and sort of that um, paternalistic patriarchal language that is often used to fuel um, governmental uh, consolidation of power. Um, and and you, could, you could look at that in the context of so many. I mean, we go to wars claiming that, you know, there's like an imperialistic impulse. I mean, the, impulse. the attacks on reproductive freedom is is around some of the same frameworks. Exactly. It's, it's we, you know, it's a rhetoric designed to consolidate power in the hands of the powerful. Um, and it is not about protecting children. It is not about protecting cis women or any women. Um, it's about controlling people's bodies. And so there's that. There's sort of the large way in which the sort of rhetoric of, quote unquote, protecting children is leveraged in the service of repressive governmental policies to maintain the status quo. Um, so there's that piece of it. And then I think what is very much specific to this conversation and why kids are the centerpiece of it is there is a desire that is incredibly transparent, um, though, though, though under talked about, to stop people from being trans. And so when you talk about young people, the, the goal is to prevent transness. Um, and the sort of operating policy statements and legislative findings behind these bills is to uh, force attempt to force people into cisness, um, which is impossible, which is catastrophic in terms of the health consequences, and yet it is the, the goal. Um, you, you know, when all of these conversations about, oh, you know, we're seeing sort of more and more trans people, and the response is going to be not to celebrate that people feel more comfortable and affirmed and safe being who they are, but rather to stop it. That is, I mean, and I've been, you know, trying to, to raise the alarms about this, but that is a eugenics project. Um, if you take a population and try to root it out because it is seen as, uh, you know, undesirable to the dominant power structures and, and, and sort of societal paradigms, um, then you're essentially engaging in a genocidal project to eradicate a group of people. And that is what is happening here. Um, and, and that was very much on display in all of these hearings, continues to be on display. Um, and, and, and this is an incredibly shameful chapter in our history. You also mentioned that part of the backlash was a result of um, Biden becoming president. 
I'm curious, you know, the Biden administration has so far um, proven very willing to expand and and rehabilitate um, rights for the LGBTQ community. I mean, the Biden administration just expanded Title IX to protect trans students. Um, And I'm wondering if the federal government can at all be a counterweight to these state bills. I mean, can they do anything directly to stop them to counter the messaging yeah. So, I mean, so first, I think it's important to note that, that the Biden administration actually hasn't really done much. I, not to say that they necessarily okay. should have, but, you know, all they've done really is say, unlike the Trump administration, we plan to follow the law. Um, and 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 they're saying, essentially, you know, the Supreme Court decided in Bostock that Title VII, the federal law prohibiting sex discrimination in employment, covers LGBT people and the ways in which courts have always interpreted other federal statutes that also prohibits sex discrimination is to, you know, follow uh, the Title VII precedent. And that is what's going to happen here. We're going to enforce Title IX consistent with Title VII and consistent with other federal statutes prohibiting sex discrimination. That is not a revelation, nor is it really an expansion of anything other than to say, you know, we, we intend to follow the law, which is great and we commend them for it. Um, but you know, the reality is that that was already true. This was already an obligation on these states, on individuals who tend to engage in discrimination against LGBT people. Um, You know, the Constitution and federal civil rights statutes already protect us. Um, And, you know, we were able to, for example, uh, when Idaho passed their anti-trans sports bill last year, you know, we sued them before Biden was elected, you know, and we got a decision in joining the law, you know, as violative of the Constitution. Um, Because these are, you know, incredibly overreaching overbroad um, statutes that target a group of people in impermissible ways. Um, so, so there's that piece of it. And so, yes, I, I am incredibly grateful that we're in a context at the federal level where we're not constantly facing the same attacks that we were at the state level. That said, I think it's very reactionary of, of these states and, and other sort of individuals in, the, in, in sort of the public conversation about trans rights to claim that the Biden administration has transformed really anything other than to say, you know, we're going to follow the statutes that do exist. We're going to, you know, you know, enforce laws that, you know, we have to enforce. Um, so that, you know, is a refreshing change, though not a revelation. Um, I think that, you know, we're in a context where people are incredibly reactionary. And so it is really difficult to try to push the executive to, um, to the federal executive to, you know, sort of step into their power when we know that that will then cause some states, you know, for example, when, when Governor Reeves in Mississippi signed the anti-trans bill in, you know, sports bill into law, he claimed it was necessary to, you know, to stop the encroachment of the Biden administration uh, into women's sports, which is A, just completely false, um, you know, not Nothing had changed and the Biden administration hadn't really done anything at that point. Um, it was really just an excuse um, to target trans people and then to claim that it was a battle between state and local power, which, I mean, sorry, state and federal power, which is not. Um, and, and so there's that piece of it in terms of, well, what, what can we ask of the federal government and what would make a difference? Um, I mean, I think just continuing to, you know, enforce the law um, in ways that the Supreme Court has already said are required um, and the Constitution to ensure that, you know, trans people understand that they are currently protected um, to, you know, step in in litigation where, you know, we are suing um, to, to strike down these laws. I think, you know, we can hope and expect the federal government to weigh in on our side at every level. Right. Um, so DOJ 
adding adding their weight to the cases yes, too. Exactly. And I think, you know, whereas when we were living in the world of the Trump administration, when we were in litigation, they would weigh in on the side of the discriminators. So, um, you know, now they'll be, you know, if we fully expect they'll be weighing in on, on our side and they've already withdrawn sort of, you know, positions that the Justice Department had taken um, under the, the Trump administration. So, so I think that's really positive. I think we hope to continue to see a robust enforcement of federal civil rights statutes and the Constitution in ways that are protective of trans people and the full LGBTQ community. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, we can't exclusively rely on the federal government here because the reality is that these states are, you know, brazen in, in what they're willing to pass. They are, you know, continually willing to, um, to, you know, to flout the requirements of federal law, um, whether it's in passing anti-abortion laws or passing voter suppression laws or passing anti-trans laws, that's what they're doing. Um, they want to bring these things into court. Uh, they feel they have hospitable uh, judicial fora uh, to defend these really dangerous and discriminatory um, acts. And, and so I think, you know, it's going to be a tough fight and it's going to play out over many years. And I just... You know, I'm worried for the health and well-being of trans people as we engage in these fights, as we have to listen to these conversations, as, as, as while we have to wa- watch these battles being waged in state legislatures. But I also know that there are incredible people doing incredible work to support the community. Um, we will make sure that people get health care one way or another, whether it's, um, you know, supporting the, you know, f- funds that are able to help people get the care that they need, whether it's, um, you know, the lawsuits that we will file, um, you know, the fight will take many, many approaches and we will, um, you know, put everything we can into stopping all of these things. And speaking of the lawsuit, can you explain what the ACLU plans to do in Arkansas and some of the legal frameworks that will inform the lawsuit? Yeah. So, you know, we are, um, you know, preparing to file a lawsuit that will challenge uh, HB 1570, the law that was passed uh, by Arkansas. Um, you know, we will uh, file not only, you know, a, a complaint against the, the law, but a preliminary injunction to try to stop it from going ever going into effect. Um, and, you know, the, the lawsuit, the bills that have passed elsewhere are you know, whether it's sports bills or healthcare bills, you know, we are going to explore litigation in every single context. Um, we want to make sure that trans people feel defended and supported. Um, and, the, you know, these healthcare laws are, are plainly unconstitutional. Um, you know, they are sweeping in their scope. Um, they in no way advance the interests that are being claimed um, by the lawmakers and the proponents of the bills. Um, and, and so, you know, as was the case with HB 500 in Idaho, um, the, the court essentially said, you know, as a matter of equal protection, this violates um, the equal protection rights of of trans people and all women, um, and that the 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 um, the goals of the law um, are no way served by the sweeping dis- discriminatory nature of what was passed, and and that I think is also going to be a central claim in these healthcare lawsuits as well, which is you know this is healthcare that is going to be provided to non transgender people, and it is only barred for trans people. Um, that is as clear an equal protection violation as as you can tee up, um, and uh, you know. Pubertal suppression is provided all the time to for precocious uh, uh, puberty. Um, it is 
you know, not experimental. It is effective. It is not harmful. Um, and we have all of the medical science to support that. Um, uh, and we will be able, I think, to make an incredibly strong showing in court um, that these laws are simply just um, singling out a politically unpopular group of people um, and with a de- bare desire to harm them. That is just unconstitutional under any standard of review. Um, and, and, you know, if there are any, you know, sort of, uh, you know, decent, uh, you know, fora in the judiciary to hear these cases, they will rule in our favor. Um, you know, the, these laws do not pass constitutional muster. And, and I, I certainly hope and expect that they will be uh, struck down accordingly. This is not your first battle. You were part of the Supreme Court arguments. You were part of the battle against the transmilitary ban. There have been so many battles over the years. This is certainly not the first time. It may be one of the worst, but that the states have taken a very anti-LGBTQ stance. I'm just wondering, how are you taking it all in? I mean, as a lawyer, as an advocate, as a human being. I mean, I think it is exhausting to have these cumulative fights where you're just constantly in battle for the most just basic things where you're just trying to, you know, stop people from being fired for who they are, you know, stop legislatures from passing, you know, sweeping attacks on on trans lives. Um, You know, we just uh, settled our case against North Carolina over HB2 that was in litigation for five years um, over the law, you know, the sweeping anti-trans bathroom law that that state passed. Um, And and now North Carolina has three new anti-trans bills pending that were just introduced uh, this session. And so I think there is this way where, um, you know, it feels endless. Uh, but at the same time, we can see all of the ways that uh, you know, our fight is so important that, um, you know, sending the message to trans people um, that they don't have to fight this alone, um, that, you know, we can uh, support all of the incredible local advocacy that is happening in all of these states and um, be prepared to uh, show up in legislative hearings to sue when necessary. Um, You know, I think I am ready for all of those fights, um, even though it feels just incredibly relentless and um, unfair that anyone should have to defend their right to go to school, their right to have a job, their right to have health care. But unfortunately, that is a reality for so many people in this country um, that is, you know, continually so invested of stripping people away, um, not just of their uh, basic legal rights, but their, you know, basic humanity. Um, but I think the message that we will continue to bring to court, to the public conversation, Um, to everything is you cannot stop people from being trans. You cannot uh, stop these kids from um, existing. um, And we will make sure of that. Uh, You know, we will make sure that whatever sort of cruel uh, impulse people have to to try to, you know, at at some level kill trans kids, that we will absolutely in no way let that happen. Um, And also make sure that parents understand um, that they should and and must affirm their children, um, and that this healthcare is necessary, important, um, and uh, you know we will we will defend it in every way that we can. And what can listeners and supporters do to support in this fight? Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, making sure people understand that they have a role to play. I mean, we the Governor Hutchinson vetoed HB 1570 because people spoke up. Um, and people in Arkansas and people around the country. And I think what we need right now is for everyone to speak up. Speak up 
whatever way you can, whether it's calling your legislators if you live in a state that's considering one of these bills, uh, whether it's sharing content on social media so people know um, what is happening and so that people know that um, we have allies in the fight. Uh, so I think, you know, engagement is critical. This is a time where we need mass mobilization. We need these bills to become politically toxic. We need, uh, you know, the national outcry to be growing and strong. And so I think everyone has a role to play in that. Um, you know, we can also continue to drive support into these states. I mean, trans youth in Arkansas need resources right now. Um, this is a this is a catastrophe, and um, it could spill over into other places. We know that you know North Carolina, Alabama, and Tennessee are all consum- considering similar health care bans. We need those bills not to pass. Um, so finding you know local groups that can support communities on the ground is, is critical, um, and then continuing to support our work at the ACLU and and sort of the 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 all of the tools that we bring to the table um, and making sure that we're able to continue to to lobby um, in every single state. Um, And our nationwide structure allows us to be experts um, in different state governments and and sort of what is happening. And I think that is so important. Um, And then, of course, to support the litigation um, because it should not come to that. But unfortunately, it has and it will um, continue to because there is an incredibly just... uh, unimaginable commitment to attacking trans people in this country right now. And, and, and so I think, you know, coming back to my, to my first point, we need allies and we need co-conspirators and we need people to speak up and engage and mobilize in this fight because, um, you know, part of why these lawmakers think they can do this is because they think people won't care. Um, and so we have to show them that they're wrong. Well, Chase, thank you so much for taking the time um, and for laying out all the ways we can support. Um, it's so important right now. Thank you. Thanks, Molly. It was great to, you know, to continue to have these conversations. Always. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We so appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.